Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I mean, the game ended in a tie for all intents and purposes at that moment. And um, uh, that only happens in soccer. That doesn't happen in U.S. football or any other way, you know, there is an overtime. So overtime became the recount of Florida, essentially. Good evening. Tonight, Secretary Cheney and I thank the many thousands of Americans who've written or called or emailed to offer prayers and encouragement as we all await the outcome of the election. The date is November 15th, 2000. No matter who you voted for in this election, whether you supported Vice President Gore or whether you supported me, all Americans want a fair and accurate count of the votes in Florida, a fair and accurate count that measures up to the highest standards and principles outlined in our Constitution and our laws. For eight days, Governor George W. Bush and Vice President Al Gore along with the rest of the nation, have been waiting to see who will be awarded Florida's 25 electoral votes, and with it, the presidency of the United States. This has been an extraordinary eight days for the American people, and I wanted to speak with you briefly about how how I believe we should conclude this election. The campaign is over, but a test of our democracy is now underway. A tumultuous election night turns into a confusing trail of days, filled with legal challenges, hand recounts, and public statements from both candidates outlining the way forward. As we work to conclude this election, we should be guided by three principles. This process must be fair, this process must be accurate, and this process must be final. The outcome of this election will not be the result of deals or efforts to mold public opinion. The outcome of this election will be determined by the votes and by the law. I don't know what the final results will show, but I do know this is about much more than what happens to me or my opponent. It is about our democracy. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. And and God God bless bless America. America. It will be another 29 days before the American people know the final results. At this point, the only thing that's certain is that the contest for the presidency has gone into overtime, making it one of the most memorable presidential elections in American history. This is Election 2000, Overtime. I'm your host, Emma Sislowski. Episode 1. Are we going to win? The fight for Florida. Butterfly ballots. Hanging chads. Pregnant chads. Dimpled chads. The recount. You've heard the story. 
but that's not the one we're here to tell. This podcast zooms in on 37 of the most unprecedented days in American history. Who were these two men, Bush and Gore, when they weren't standing at a podium? Making speeches about fair elections and the democratic process. And how did they respond to the uncertainty of it all when no one was watching? Well, almost no one. This is Callie's show. We are at my house on Sullivan's Island, South Carolina, which is nine miles north of Charleston, South Carolina, on December 7th, 2017. I, at the time, um, during the election of Gore and Bush, was Gore's official photographer for the White House, and David Hume Kennerly was covering Bush at the time. Right, David Kennerly, and it is uh, 29... January 2018. Callie Shell and David Hume Kennerly are accomplished photographers. Their images have won awards and been featured on the covers of prominent magazines and newspapers. From election day through the Florida recount, they had unrestricted access to Bush and Gore. Other than the candidates' family and close advisors, they were often the only ones in the room, witnessing history as it unfolded. And they always had a camera handy. Well, I am a news photographer. I've been taking pictures now over 50 years. So um, photography is my passion, my profession, uh, encompasses my world outside of my family and friends. It's what I do best. I am a mother, a wife. I wanted to be a race car driver when I was growing up. What else? 57 years old, I'm old, and I try to pay the mortgage by taking photographs. I started taking photographs because I was so scared of people and so nervous about talking. I would just, that was my way of communicating with people. I'd just take pictures of them. Then I didn't have to talk to them. Now I talk all the time, but believe it or not, for almost a whole year of my life, I didn't talk at all when I was young. I was extremely, painfully shy. Near the end of 2017, our production team began conducting a series of interviews with Callie and David. First, we met up with Callie at her home in South Carolina, where we sat on the porch and poured over her contact sheets. Then, we interviewed David and Callie together at a studio here in New York City. I grew up in a little lumber town in, in, uh, in Oregon, Roseburg, Oregon. It was called the... Um, timber capital of the nation. My dad was a traveling salesman. My mother had been an English major at University of Oregon. I've, because my dad traveled around, um, I would go with him on trips sometime. And I, uh, when the first time I went up to Portland, was, it was like going to Oz. It was like it was going from black and white into color. And I think from the time I was a little kid, I, w I was trying to uh, plan my escape out of there. And I remember uh, uh, when I was a kid, there was a garage fire in the neighborhood. I mean, in Roseburg, that was like a big deal. Um, and this newspaper photographer from the Roseburg News Review went on the other side of the police lines, was able to take pictures and all that. That that image really stuck with me that, that you could really get to where the action was, and that was part of the appeal to me. Grew up in South Carolina, 
my whole life, went to college in South Carolina, and then I worked the last two summers of college at a newspaper in Tennessee, The Tennessean, and I was very lucky because they had a really strong photo staff. I worked for this amazing editor, John Sigenthaler. Sigenthaler was Bobby Kennedy's um, right-hand man, so it was a great place to begin. And then I left Nashville and went, got hired at the Pittsburgh Press, which at the time was pretty much the number one photo paper in the country. Their careers have taken them around the world, and they've photographed icons like Nelson Mandela, Yitzhak Rabin, and Richard Nixon, to name a few. Being in the room with historical figures like that had a profound impact on them as photographers. It made them see the world differently and informed how they captured it through their cameras. I photographed the Rolling Stones uh, on their first tour in the United States. I photographed uh, the Supremes. And I could get backstage uh, and take pictures of Miles Davis, um, probably the most influential person that I photographed was Robert Kennedy. He was the first really big-time politician that I was able to uh, to, to cover when he, he showed up one night at a, uh, a big rally in Portland. To this day, it's one of my, I think, one of my best political pictures. I was just like, you know, 19 when I took it. I followed the Kennedy motorcade after, he, after his speech out to, the, out to the airport, and there was this DC-3 plane with the with the propellers turning, and Kennedy ran up the ramp and waved, went into the plane, the door closed, the plane taxied out. I felt like that final scene in Casablanca where Rick is watching the plane take off, and I, it was a profound moment for me. I, I, I really wanted to be on that airplane. I wanted to see where Robert Kennedy or people like him were going. You know, these are the people that made the world go round. For David, his career even led him into war. I've always had an interest in history. I, I, I wanted to be where decisions were being made and where wars were being fought. I, I wasn't infatuated with the idea of uh, Washington what what was happening was um, the Vietnam War was going on and had been going heavily for, at that point, uh, five years. And uh, I, I just felt compelled to go to Vietnam as the biggest story of my generation. His photographs of the Vietnam War would earn David a Pulitzer Prize in feature photography in 1972. I think what it did for me, was it, it really underscored why I wanted to go back to Washington and, and, and really get into the behind-the-scenes situations with the people making the decisions to start and end wars. Eventually, their winding careers led David and Callie to capture the same exact moment in history, just in different rooms. So I was working at the Pittsburgh Press. We were on a union strike, so the only thing we were doing because there's no paper to put out, was playing pool every afternoon. I got a call from the press secretary, Marla Romash, who worked for Tipper and Al Gore, and said, you were recommended by Nancy Rhoda. She was my mentor at the Tennessean. You think you could take off from your paper 
and document the last few weeks of the Clinton-Gore campaign, my boss said, not do anything else, go. So that's how I got to the election 2000. In 1995, Newsweek asked me to uh, come on board as a contributor. And so I covered the campaign, 96 campaign with Dole. Then the following election cycle, it became uh, Gore versus uh, Bush. But before that, uh, I covered the McCain campaign. And then in the last two weeks, joined up with Dick Cheney into the home stretch of, of the Bush campaign. And that's how I got on that one. We asked David and Callie to be our guides to a presidential election that will forever have an asterisk next to it. It's a chapter in American history that still, 18 years later, we haven't entirely closed. Through their photographs, we have the opportunity to see things we may have missed, uncover moments between the frames, and explore questions that still baffle us. We weren't in the room, but lucky for us, David and Callie were pretty much every single time. After the break, they tell us what they saw as the longest 37 days in presidential election history played out. Stay tuned. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protest that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to Election 2000 Overtime. I'm your host, Emma Sislawski. Throughout this podcast, we'll be referencing photos taken by David and Callie. And we've come up with a way that you can view these photos while you listen. You've got a few options. You can go to cnn.com slash election2000, that's 2000, and click on the episode one link. Or you can just click on the link in the description for this episode in your podcast app, and it'll take you directly to our website. Again, that's cnn.com slash election2000. 
Don't worry, the podcast will keep playing while you scroll through the photos. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Some of these. Yeah. And we can put these together, right? That's like... Uh, so this is the stretch. This is going into the last week of uh, the campaign in Michigan. Uh, you've got presidential candidate George Bush. I like this picture as a sort of all Americana kind of campaign photo with the, the flags. And this is just uh, this is a scene I, I have witnessed so many times. I have officially been covering presidential elections now for 50 years. And um, I, I, I think if you had to pick a campaign photo to represent all that, this would probably work out. I mean, it's the guy, the flags, the bunting, you know, the loyal followers behind him. It's, it's a choreographed script that everybody has followed probably since the beginning of American presidential elections in one way or another. I can't think of a better way to end the 2000 presidential election then right here with some of our closest friends in Miami, Florida. Thank you so much. With your help, we're gonna have this man be the next president of the United States. I introduce to you my husband, Al Gore. All right. Florida is usually, for Democrats, one of those last stops. Thank you, Miami. And for Gore, it is. Florida is where he and his running mate, Joe Lieberman, begin Election Day. I want to thank all the 25,000 people that are in this site here. I am getting a very powerful message from your cheers, from your faces, from the feeling in your hearts. We're going to carry Florida. We're going to win the White House. Are you ready to win? Will you fight to win? Are we going to win? At that point, it was looking pretty good. Everybody was in an awesome mood. And then we landed in Nashville. Everybody went home and showered. And then we all met in Carthage. Carthage, Tennessee, Gore's hometown, and where he, along with his family and close advisors, will watch the returns come in that night. New Hampshire, Bush. North Carolina, Bush. Michigan, Gore. Iowa, Gore. Florida, Gore. No, wait, Bush. No, wait, too close to call. Into the early morning hours of November 8th, there's confusion. A concession calls placed and then retracted. By midday, it becomes clear to the two men who have spent months campaigning to be president and years, if not a lifetime, preparing for this moment that there is no clear winner. So what does this look like? It looks, well, lonely. Governor Bush on the phone, sitting in the living room of the governor's mansion in Austin, next to the fireplace, staring at the floor. That's a picture. I mean, if you think about this kind of photography, that picture would be a great double truck in Life magazine the day after it hits the fan, and there he is. You know, he's by himself trying to figure out what's going on. And Bush's running mate, Dick Cheney, his hand resting against his cheek, staring off into the distance. And Cheney, uh, um, he was definitely one of the, the big players behind the scenes because uh, he's a smart political strategist. So you don't see Cheney looking like that 
that he's being affected very often by stuff. And I've been in the room with him a number of times where he was, uh, you know, under pressure, but he handles pressure really well. The next day, Gore's team requests hand recounts in four Florida counties, Palm Beach, Volusia, Miami-Dade, and Broward. The same day, Florida's Secretary of State, Catherine Harris, and two other members on Florida's elections board hold a press conference to announce the unofficial results. As of 5 p.m. today, the unofficial certified results uh, of the recount are as follows. Governor George W. Bush, 2,909,661. Vice President Al Gore, 2,907,877. A difference of 1,784 votes. There is still no official Florida vote tally. On November 10th, Bush holds a photo op at the governor's mansion in Austin with his running mate, Dick Cheney, and several advisors, including Condoleezza Rice, Larry Lindsay, and Andy Card. It's a signal that, despite the lack of a clear victor, Bush is preparing for the White House. Carter, you know, Clay Johnson, uh, there was a count on election night, and there's been a recount in Florida, and... Uh, I understand there's still votes to be counted, but I'm in the process of um, planning in a responsible way a potential administration. There's been a series of ongoing meetings that the Secretary and I have had uh, on a variety of subjects uh, so that uh, should the verdict that has been announced thus far be confirmed, uh, we'll be ready. And I think that's what the country needs to know, that this administration will be ready to assume office and and, uh, and be prepared to lead. Uh, Larry, uh, in particular, is going to talk about the markets. And uh, Condi is going to... After the photo op, the Bush team files a legal injunction to stop the Florida recounts, citing equal protection and other constitutional violations. Their request is denied. Meanwhile, recounts are happening and Gore is racking up votes. Plus 19 here, plus 4 there, but... In the end, those votes may not even count. On November 13th, Secretary Harris announces she won't extend the deadline for certifying election results. So even if the recounts end up in Gore's favor, if they're not counted by 5 p.m. the next day, they won't count at all. November, yes, November 13th. At this point, most of the time at the White House, you know, was spent on doing the vice president's duties and then... After he looked over his notes, he walked out to the North Portico, which is right in front of the West Wing, to, I think, about 100 press. Normally, when you walk out to that position, there's about 20 people. You know, they're just waiting in case a senator or someone comes out. At this point, everybody's just waiting for what's going through the vice president, what he's thinking. So there's a couple of hundred press people. From from the start, that while time is important, it is even more important that every vote is counted and counted accurately. Look, I, I would not want to win the presidency by a few votes cast uh, uh, in error or misinterpreted or not counted. So having a, enough patience to, to spend the days necessary to hear exactly what the American people have said is really uh, the most important thing because that is what 
uh, honors our Constitution and redeems the promise of our democracy. The following day, Secretary Harris announces that, based on returns submitted by all of Florida's counties, Bush leads Gore by only 300 votes. Which brings us to November 15th. Harris petitions the Florida Supreme Court to order an end to manual recounts in Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. But her request is denied. That afternoon, Vice President Gore addresses the nation. It's been eight days since the final ballots were cast on Election Day. As part of his speech, Gore suggests a one-on-one meeting with Bush. This has been an extraordinary eight days for the American people, and I wanted to speak with you briefly about how, how I believe we should conclude this election. The campaign is over, but a test of our democracy is now underway. I propose that Governor Bush and I meet personally, one-on-one, as soon as possible, before the vote count is finished, not to negotiate, but to improve the tone of our dialogue in America. We should both call on all our supporters to prepare themselves to close ranks as Americans and unite the country behind the winner as soon as this process is completed. My faith is in the people's will, in our Constitution, and in our system of self-government. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. After Gore's speech, he and his staff convene at the official vice presidential residence on the grounds of the Naval Observatory in D.C. From there, they watch Bush's response. Bush rejects the meeting. The votes of Florida have been counted. They have been recounted. And tonight they have been certified. And we do not know yet who has won. I was encouraged tonight that Vice President Gore called for a conclusion to this process. We all agree. Once this election is over, I would be glad to meet with Vice President Gore. And I join him in pledging that regardless of who wins, after this weekend's final count, we will work together to unite our great country. Thank you, and God bless America. On the next episode of Election 2000 Over Vice President Gore, Governor Bush, this race for CNN at this hour, too close to call. A big call to make. CNN announces that we call Florida in the Al Gore column. This is a state both campaigns desperately wanted to win. Stand by. Uh, CNN right now is moving our earlier declaration of Florida back to the too close to call column. Now here's the total. George W. Bush, 246. Al Gore, 242. At 18 minutes past 2 o'clock Eastern Time, CNN declares that George Walker Bush has won Florida's 25 electoral votes. Florida has gone from too close to call to Gore, to too close to call to Bush, to too close to call. I suppose Nader can have some hopes that he might carry Florida in the better. Wait a second. We need to go back to election night. There's some stuff we still got to talk about. Bush said to me, he took it back. He took it back. And I wondered what he was talking about. I had no idea. I didn't know he'd been on the phone with Gore. And I said, who took what back? He said, Gore just called me and took back his concession. 
For more from the decade that followed this pivotal election, check out CNN's original TV series, The 2000s. It airs Sunday nights at 9 p.m. If you liked this episode, head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. And leave us a rating or a review while you're there. Election 2000 Overtime was produced by Vanessa Gonzalez-Block and Amy Eason, with help from Haley Drasnin and Prem Tucker, and with sound design by me. Special thanks to Damian Prado and Stephanie Carday. I'm your host, Emma Sislowski. But actually, in college, I wanted to join the Peace Corps. So that was my goal in life, and I went and talked to one of my teachers in college who just happened to be a nun, and we went and met in her office at the nunnery, and we talked about Peace Corps or mission work. And the middle of it, I said, well, I really love photography, but I don't know if I could ever get a job being a photographer or I want to go into Peace Corps. And when I said Peace Corps, the light from above fell and hit me in the leg and cut my leg. So we decided that was a sign that I shouldn't do the Peace Corps. I should go for photography. Sister Frances, she was a great teacher. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.